Man, amen. You guys can grab a seat. It's so good to be with you. Um, if you don't know, uh, my name is Brian Beemans. I'm the lead pastor here at Christ Church. And uh, man, I just love learning from God's word because when we sing what we just sang and we declare the holiness of God or how worthy God is, th- there should always follow with that um, a desire to put ourselves in a place where we are a learner, where we're desiring to learn what God would have us um, know what he would want us to, how he would want us to live. There should be an immediate uh, sort of humility and submission that comes to that. And, and any time we uh, come to this time in our service or in any time together with God's people, when God's word is opened, what we're doing is we're, we're saying that's the authority that we're coming under. That's the, the, the authority that we're wanting to respect and respond to. And in this time we open God's word, we have already asked and will in a moment ask again before God that the Spirit of God, not just um, this man's words, but the Spirit of God through me and preaching God's word would come to bear on your heart to convict you, to, to counsel you, to encourage you to walk forward into the goodness and the blessing of God. Amen. So that's what we're going after together. So get your Bible open to 1 Peter chapter 5. We are in a week two of this a shorter series called um, Churchology, a study of the church, because I just believe, and it's been on my heart, that our church would be aligned and together on what a God calls the church to be, and we would be fully engaged in that, trusting God's grace in places where we are weak. And uh, so uh, last week we talked about the universal and the local church, that the universal church, through your faith in Christ, you are Um, caught up in, you're adopted into God's family. And there will be a day in eternity when you will live with in the full freedom and fullness of knowing God in that family. And that's the universal church. It's before our time. It's going to be after our time. And and so that's universal church. And the local church is this local expression of a body of believers coming together, united around the mission of the church, wanting to fulfill Christ's mission. Today, um, once we're unified in Christ, and we know that through faith in Christ, the move into the church, when we rightly understand the church, should be a move under some spiritual leadership. Understanding those roles is important for the church to be what God's called it to be. So we're going to look at that together here in 1 Peter 5. So I'm going to actually read the passage this morning and then pray for us. So just follow along with me as I read. So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder, this is Peter writing to the church and expressing some realities of leadership. He's already in the previous four chapters unlocked a variety of things about faith and walking with God and different relational components within the household of God, and now he gets to the local church. Exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Let's pray. God, I, um, I ask that you into 
what is certainly in our world and oftentimes in the church a, uh, a place where there's a lot of confusion around leadership. I pray today that we would both um, as a church, grow in our understanding of some of the core convictions of leadership that we have at our church and that we would see how it's flowing from your word. I pray in places where uh, uh, we need more clarity or we need to hear from you. I pray both for people in leadership roles and people who are striving to follow that we would understand how to do that in a way that honors you, Jesus, that reflects the gospel. So we trust that now, God, ask that you would lead this time. It's in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Um, leadership, um, we, we, we all get the fact, right, that like leadership is kind of under the microscope nowadays. I think more than ever when word can travel so fast about what's happening here, or what's happening there, or this situation or circumstance, um, we can be confronted like we are so often in our world of all of the negative things, right? Anybody overwhelmed with all of the negative stories? I just like, it can create an anxiety about everything because we hear all of the ugliness of things all the time and it's under it's under the microscope and even in the last month like I've heard criticism um, of, of the government businesses and corporations schools hospitals sports teams and churches you just hear it it's it's under the microscope and I know our, our culture just loves to be critical I, I know that we we love um, to do that so quickly and oftentimes that's a mistake but here's what I want to say there is a degree of criticism that's warranted I think that it's important as we look at what God's word is teaching that sometimes um, we don't fulfill that and we need to be accountable to that and transparent about that and there's places that our church has had to grow in these things um, but one of the things I love is, is that in the midst of, particularly when you start talking about leadership or leadership philosophy, there's so many voices out there speaking to this subject, isn't there? Anybody who leaves it, leads in any capacity in the business or in our world knows so many voices. And I am just thankful that there are places like this in 1 Peter where you see that God's word speaks to this subject. And when, the, when God's people find out that God's word is speaking on something, we need to listen. We need to listen and receive it. Not try to turn it into to what we want it to be, but just sit under it and submit to it. And I want you to notice what's at risk. Did you notice the end of that, of that passage? Where it says, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So by the end of this message, we're going to come to a place where I'm going to say, based on this passage, like you can stand in a place where God's opposing you, or you can stand in a place where God wants to rush his grace to you. And I know where I want to be, and I know where I want you to be, and so let's walk through this together. Here's the big idea from this passage. It's this. God's grace saturates the local church where humility is is the priority. Where humility is the priority. So you're going to see as you walk through the passage that there is a, a clear lesson for elders and then I think from that anyone who's in spiritual leadership over any other follower of Christ. There is a lesson for those who are following or coming under leadership and then there is a lesson for all of us. All of us. Plenty of places to connect in this message. Let's look at it together. Uh, three lessons. First lesson is this. 
Leaders must regularly evaluate their motives. Got to regularly evaluate their motives. Let me break down this for you and make sure you understand it here in the context of Christ Church. When it says, Peter's writing here, he says, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder. He's talking here of a very specific group of men who are leading in the church. But there's a reality of elder and, and shepherding particularly that starts to filter down into all of the church. And so when he talks about elder here, He's talking about a man who's qualified by Scripture. If you look at First and Second Timothy and Titus, there's specific, you'll see it, the heading in some of your Bibles reads, qualifications of overseer. Overseer, elder, pastor, all sort of very similar realities. And a biblical elder is a man, if you notice that it says it says qualifications, but so many of those qualifications are not like, um, I, I can do this skill or this skill. Almost all of the qualifications are talking about character. We're talking about character. The reality of my life lived out that it's in accordance with God and his word. Most of them are character. And, uh, and so because the Spirit transforms a character and then leads them to serve the local church out of the order that God gives the household, God calls men to step into this role of elder leadership. Now, elder leadership, there can be lots of, when you get to First and Second Timothy and Titus, it says anyone who would aspire to be an elder should, should chase after these things because these character traits reflect Christ. And his disciples were all wanting to have that character. But then out of biblically qualified people, God calls specifically from those passages a group of men to lead in a church, to be an elder team or an elder board like we refer to it here. The elder board here at Christ Church is made up of five different men. Here's their names up on the screen for you. Um, they are myself in my role, Charlie Barnes, Rex Visser, Doug Bantz, and Jim Colby are the current elders here at Christ Church. And uh, elders, so you can understand a bit, um, I just want to speak to this a bit because sometimes there's confusion on this when we hear and understand the idea of elder. Um, elders are responsible, as we understand broadly in scripture, for overseeing the doctrine, direction, and discipleship. Now, what you see in, in, in the local church, even in the Bible, is that as, as more people start to come, there's, there's sort of layers of leadership and, and ministries given away. And so our elders, those men don't oversee directly everything at a high level we oversee. We have a staff of pastors and directors that really lead the ministry forward on the ground. And then there's people like so many of you who have stepped into servant leadership roles that are serving underneath them and the ministry is really happening through you. And so what we love to say here is we love to say that we are staff-led and elder-governed. And so for example, like one of the elders told me, he said, there's somebody that walked up to me and, and asked me a question and they said, do you know when we're doing communion again? And the elder that was talking to me was like, I said, no. And they looked at me like, you were a failure as an elder. <laughs> they just, he said, there's this look. They didn't say that. They didn't say that. But, but there's this look on their face like, you should know. He shouldn't. You know, one of the beautiful things about entrusting leadership is that um, God entrusts uh, leaders to, to, with leadership and he wants them to then lead other people and raise people up and the leadership should be filtering down. And we have a phenomenal staff team around me that, that are doing so much and there's hundreds of decisions that are made as, in, as leaders throughout the week that I don't even know about. 
because we trust them and we're empowering people. And there are things that some of you are doing underneath some leadership over you that they might not even know all the things that are happening because they're trying to empower and give ministry away. And so there's, there's some aspect of that that then now, 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 uh, regarding communion, if there was something said in communion that was doctrinally wrong, our elders can speak into that and would. If there's some other pattern of that or any other ministry that we see, we might step in and process through that to make a decision that would be healthiest for the church. So I just want to give you some clarity around that word elder for our church. And, um, but here's the truth. When it's talking about this idea, Peter's certainly talking about specific elders in the church. He refers to them. But the truth of what he's referring to when it comes to what he's about to unpack applies to anyone who has any level of shepherding, leadership, or pastoral influence in the church. And I mean that along the lines of, I mean, there, there are people with pastoring gifts and leadership gifts in our church that are serving right now in our children's ministry. There's people that do it in student ministries, community group leaders in our church, our pastors and directors certainly, our elders, our deacons to a variety of of, of ways do this all throughout our church. Parents, you have a shepherding responsibility of your kids. Anyone shepherding another Christ follower should regularly evaluate their motives. So if if that's you, uh, for some of you it's going to be you, I want you to to look at this passage and see what it says. It says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, not under compulsion, but willingly. Like God, this responsibility that you've given me in in whatever context that might be, like I'm gonna carry that willingly not under compulsion, not pressed by someone else, not pressed by past, past parental failures that now under compulsion, I'm going to be an awesome parent. And the kids are like, whoa, you're coming on a little strong, Dad. But, but willingly, look what it says, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. So you're not domineering over, you're carrying your responsibility rightly and wanting to be an example to the flock. Man, I I could walk through this and teach a parenting message on it, as I'm sure you can see. There's a reality of this, though, at every layer of church leadership. We should be chasing after this and evaluating our motives. And, And I wrote this down because I think this is the thing. The goal is not the role. The goal is not the role. Like, I didn't get up one day and was like, oh, my, my greatest goal is to be a pastor so that I can be in a leadership role. Uh, our, our elders aren't elders because of that. But the goal is not the role. The goal is to be an authentic partaker. Look in verse 1. An authentic partaker of the glory that is going to be revealed. And if you shepherd people rightly, Willingly, as God would have you being an example, here's what you're going to do as an example. You're going to be like, get to Jesus. Get to him. 
The glory that is revealed in the face of Christ, when you know him and abide in him, that's where the glory is revealed. It's not in me. I'm just an ambassador. I'm just a partner for whatever point God would have me in this role to walk with you in whatever way I can, to encourage you, to spur you on, to get you to the place where you are also a partaker of the glory that is to be revealed. That's leadership when you understand right motives. I mean, guys, confession, like, like my first experience on an elder team was at this church. I know some of you are like, that makes a lot of sense now. You guys are thinking back through some struggles in the church. You're like, yeah, okay. Well, we, we may show him some grace, maybe. And that was, that was my first, uh, first opportunity. And um, he, here's what I can say. I don't have a comparison for this statement. But I can tell you that our elder team has been the most, tra- uh, the, the most tremendous, consistent strength and encouragement in my life. Um, this group of men, both the ones that are serving now and the ones that have served over the history of our church, are men who are regularly evaluating their motives Our elders know at the depth of our soul that our leadership and influence will honor God only if it comes out of an overflow of abiding in Christ. That's it. And and that should be the case, and I want that, and God wants this reality of evaluating our motives to filter into every layer of leadership in our church. Not, Not so that we're ever going to. The end goal of that is not so that we would arrive at this place where we're like, perfect, because we're not going to. But what will permeate from that move of evaluating our motives will be an attitude towards our own leadership that is committed to maturity, accountability, and transparency. And I see that at so many layers of leadership in our church permeating down and it is beautiful. And I think some of you see it and I think some of you it's the reason why you're here. Because here's the reality. That evaluation of our motives and that goal that we would lead people to be a partaker of the glory in Christ, not in us, not in Christ church, not in any one leader, that distinguishes us from any other worldly organization. Unfortunately, recently, someone um, shared something with us and we processed through this with our elders and our staff team and they, uh, someone made a statement that um, in wanting to process openly and honestly. So he said, Christchurch seems to be run like a business. And, uh, and so we take those comments seriously and we process through them carefully. And the person didn't really want to process through it, but we proce- we're going to process through it. And um, listen, listen, if you say, so I, what I want to do is I want to process through that a little bit because it comes right at this subject that we're talking about. If, if someone says that, and you say the church is run like a business because the church is adding layers of leadership to effectively shepherd the people, then yes, we're like a business. True. If we're establishing layers of leadership in our church and we're wanting to identify uh, the right capable leaders to lead at that level because it's so essential for the care for all the people that we see God entrusting us with, that is insanely intimidating. But we receive it as unto the Lord. Then, then yes, in, in, some, in some components it may look like a business, but, but listen, those principles, they originated in the Bible. Exodus 18, Jethro calls Moses 
to break people into smaller groups to care for them well instead of leading alone. Acts 6, deacons were established to manage ministry by caring for specific needs so that the elders didn't have to do some things. On top of that, God outlines in his spiritual gifts in a number of places gifts like leadership and administration. You know what leadership and administration gifts look a lot like? Business. You want to know who stole from who? Guess who? Did the church steal from business or did business steal from the church? Business stole from the church. God organized it like this. Organization and administration and leadership for the sake of shepherding people with care and love is fundamental. Now, see, what, what, what I just did there is the reality of, of those things isn't a valid critique. What is a valid critique is the heart and the motives, right? It's the heart and the motives that need to be evaluated. Because, because listen, there, there, are, there are leaders in our church that are so focused in one area and capacity that, that they may not feel like the traditional pastoral gift pastor or shepherding gift pastor that maybe you've been around a lot of your life. What, what we're striving to do in all of our church is each person live out of their gifts live out of their gifts, and there's so many different gifts that God honors. Yes, it might look and sound like a business, but these ideas were first outlined in God's word. But we cannot be, hear me, we cannot be like a business in our motives. Like, we can't be motivated by, by a bottom line. A leaders cannot be qualified by competence alone. If you're great at counseling people, but you're not counselable, disqualified in the context of the church. We're not trying to meet, and we never have tried to meet some like quota of people that we want to attend on the weekend or get into a certain program or ministry. We're certainly not trying to make a profit. We're not trying to gain something or control people to some selfish end. We're, we are just simply, at, this church got started because of a passion to, to lead people to be partakers of the glory that is to be revealed. That's our passion. It's on the wall out there. It's our mission. We've sharpened it over time. We've, we've learned lessons over time, yes. But our ultimate goal is to glorify God by loving God, loving others, and making disciples of all nations. And you want to know what? The only prophet that we are going for unapologetically is what the Bible teaches right here in verse 4. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. It, it actually talks about that. The reference comes in 1 Thessalonians, and it's talking specifically about ministering to one another. And when you lead in any capacity as a shepherd, the greatest joy that you get is by leading people to a place where you see them so compelled by partaking in the glory to be revealed in Christ. And, and I, just, I just want you to know, church, that there are going to be tremendous weaknesses in our leadership because we are fallen men, fallen people. But this is a church that from the very beginning has evaluated motives, and we will continue to do that. And I hope that that helps us be a place that you can understand that we're striving to be faithful to the heart and the intention of this passage. Leaders must regularly evaluate their motives. God, God's grace saturates the local church where humility is the priority. That's lesson one. Lesson two is this. 
Committed disciples must be ready to follow. So, in the beginning of verse 5, it says, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Now, you might ask the question, like, okay, okay, who is the younger? Is it like a certain age when I disqualify myself from the younger category? Is that what happens here? Well, like, if you want to understand that, like, like, let's just look at the context. The context here is not talking about an age thing. It's talking about a character thing. It's talking about a place where you might put yourself within the context of the local church. And so encouraging today for some of you, you might be like, what does younger mean? Is that an age? No, it's not an age. The reference younger here is anyone at any point who is putting themselves under elder leadership. So guess what? This is be an encouraging word for some of you. Some of you today, based on the authority of this passage in 1 Peter 5, can leave here going, I'm younger. Okay? I know for some of you that's rarer than others to get called younger. And, uh, and so if you're holding on to some semblance of youth, the Bible now supports you in that. You could be like, listen, in areas where I submit under leadership in the local church, I'm younger. I'm younger. I'm younger in some areas. And then some not so much. And, uh, and some where I have a responsibility and call to lead, but some where I'm coming under leadership. But anyone under elder leadership should be ready to follow. Ready to follow. Now listen, listen, listen. It, it, it does not mean that the Bible's calling you to be a doormat. It's whatever you want. No thinking, no processing. Just a blind follower. I did not say ready to blindly follow. It doesn't mean you ha- you're supposed to do whatever you're told to do without thinking or reasoning because hear me, hear me, no true elder and any one of our elders or leaders at any level will be called to task on this. We are not allowed, no true elder or leader or shepherd ever can call someone to violate their primary authority to Christ and his word. Because listen, that would be a violation of motives. It wouldn't be God-honoring, and you're not called to follow or be ready to follow any of that. But when there is a genuine desire for right motives, and you see the evidence of that, we got to be ready to follow. And church, like this, this starts with our discipleship. Like actually, it started before that. It started in the Godhead. Do you remember the whole, the whole throughout Scripture you see in the Trinity? You see Jesus in his life submitting to the, to the will of the Father. You, you see a following there in the way God's designed the biblical home with the role of men and women and husbands and wives in the context of the, of the, of the home. It's, there's an aspect of being ready to follow. And then it continues within the context of the church under elders and then um, even elders are submitting to one another in their um, leadership and it continues throughout the church. The heart of this idea of being ready to follow is reinforced also in Hebrews 13 verse 17 where it says, Obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls. That's a responsibility of leadership. Has those who will have to give an account. That's a heavyweight. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. I kind of think about this in a funny way. In my mind, I'm like, like if I'm like, and our leaders in our church, in regards to leading our people, are like, Ugh, it's going to get really annoying. There's a lot of leaders saying that. Like, it's going to get pretty loud and obnoxious. 
And, and we, we don't want that. We want to live in this spirit of obedience and submission. And it, it starts, guys, first with leaders owning what they're supposed to own. It starts with them leading and shepherding with care and not domineering. Do you know that we believe as an elder board that our primary responsibility to exercise our authority is in elder meetings? We don't believe that when we walk around the room in a, on a church or in a ministry event that we have some level of like, um, like uh, ability to navigate and say, well, this needs to happen now and this needs to happen there because we're entrusting leadership in those places. There's very specific places where we believe we have a calling to exercise authority. And, and, and outside of that, there needs to be a common humility towards one another and a common love towards one another and so what, what, I want you to, what I want you to see here is, is that um, we, we need to work this out in such a way where when we're coming under leadership, we want to do it in a way that's delightful and God-honoring and good for everyone involved. This is the work of ministry so often is just navigating some of these leadership roles and responsibilities and our desire and heart to follow. I wish all leadership was black and white. I do. I, I wish it was all like super clear. Like you could just look at a situation and go, clearly that's what you should do. Um, that's one of the reasons why the joke, uh, anybody on staff knows this, my wife knows this. My favorite type of counseling is financial counseling. I'm just like, it's just numbers. Just like income number, like outflow number. Income number, let your outflows be less than your income. Done. It's not always that simple. But it's like, it's like the principles are clear. You can look at it really black and white and go, this is what needs to happen. And let me give you wisdom on that and some strategies in that and, and process through that with people. Like, yeah, there's underlying complexities to that that play out in people's lives and in their hearts, but at the end of the day, there's something simple about that. And I love it when it's black and white, but let me just, I want you to hear this, church. Like, if you want to have great compassion towards anyone who's leading over your life, and I'm speaking to students here, I'm speaking to, I'm speaking to, people in our church, I'm speaking to people in community groups and, and in different ministry areas, you can have great compassion towards any leader if you remember this. It is unbelievably difficult to lead in gray areas. It's unbelievably difficult. It's difficult because sometimes you have to make a decision that's not crystal clear. It's weighty and heavy because you know that you will never make everyone happy. Most of you know that in your family if you have like two kids. Just, just expand that a little bit bigger for whatever the organization looks like. But you have to make the decision as a leader and you have to trust the Lord in that. And when people are ready to follow, and not, just, not just as doormats, we don't want that in any way in our church, but when they're asking and processing, like they're rallying together to the thing we're, we're moving towards and they're asking really good-hearted questions, but they're like so ready to follow. That is the greatest delight in ministry, in the local church, and in leadership outside of the local church. And so some of you, I just, I want you to know and I want you to hear from me, you have made this place a joy to serve in. 
And I want us to continue to strive to that. And we, as leaders, are continuing to, to work on how do we communicate well and how do we bring everybody along. And, and we've made so many mistakes on that and we're still learning in that. But just remember, it's not easy. Leading in the gray is hard. Pray for us in this. Pray for our team in that. We want to lead well. And, and, and we don't, we don't want to lead without... With, with just like with nobody asking questions, we want to process, we want your questions. But here's what we've learned over the past seven years, I have, and particularly over the last two. You will threaten our joy and literally cause us groaning if you start your questions with an attitude of accusation or assumption or communicate critique on social media. No joy, lots of groaning. Like, listen, it's, it's okay. And we welcome the fact that some of you, because of maybe what's played out in your life, maybe even some hurt that's played out in our church, is struggling to trust or wrestling. We'll have compassion towards that. The person that comes believing that they have everything figured out about our conversation or the decision or why it was made, that's just, it's just, it is, is gutting as a leader. And um, we're family. Like we're supposed to be brothers and sisters in Christ. Like I, I don't, I don't want to approach someone I love with an attitude of accusation or assumption. And when I've done that, which it has happened, it doesn't go well in my marriage with my children. How about we start with compassion and love? How about we walk slow? How about we believe the best? How about we ask our questions honestly and enthusiastically, ready, wanting, ready to follow. I know that in and around all of this leadership and following, there is so much insecurity. And I know I've walked through that myself in leading this church up to this point. And I just believe that if our commitment is to put Christ at the center, that we can really be a blessing to each other. And when we're a blessing to each other and things move forward in a way that encourages all people, uh, people see that about our church. I think some of you are here because you see that playing out in a variety of ways. Committed disciples must be ready to follow. God's grace saturates the local church where humility is the priority. Then this last point, more quickly. Everyone must make humility a priority. Everyone. Look at the verse. The last sentence, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. All of us called to this. It is an encouragement and a warning. Do you see it there? It says God will oppose the proud but give grace to the humble. So a refusal to, to strive towards clothing yourselves with humility puts you in a place where God is opposing you. I just want to say, if you, um, if you look forward towards uh, any assessment where human versus God, let's just say the, the record of the human is not good, okay? When God opposes, he is undefeated. But then look at the other side of it and see the encouragement. Like, he gives grace to the humble like, I want all of that. Like, I want all of that for all of us for all of the time.
I want it. I want to know. I want to live in the reality of this passage. I want to be faithful to it because I want God's grace because it is so good to me in salvation. And if there is any ounce of God's grace that could be lavished over my soul and your soul, I want it for me and I want it for you. God's grace. So humility is this. Let's define it. Humility is viewing and valuing yourself accurately according to your identity in Christ. It's up there on the screen. Viewing yourself accurately according to your identity in Christ, valuing yourself accurately according to your identity in Christ. So, so what, what has Christ said about you? Well, um, you're sinful and you're needing a savior. And your salvation and your forgiveness and your uh, sufficiency and all of your everything is found in relationship to Christ, abiding in Christ. That's your identity. Then out of that, out of the fullness of God's spirit towards you and in you and through you, he wants you to be on mission for God. He wants you to use your gifts. We're going to talk about that next week. He wants you to be faithful to him at every level and, and to live under the rule and reign of Christ. That's the starting point for humility. Like, when we understand that, what starts to come from our lives when we're desiring to clothe ourselves with humility is this phrase, we bow down to lift Christ up. We bow down to lift Christ up. It's why we say around our church, make Christ famous to everyone, everywhere, every day. And how we do that is by bowing ourselves down under the rule and reign of Christ. All of the aspects of leadership and following in the context of the church start because we are a people that have been bowed down to lift Christ up. You make humility a priority by making much of the glory and goodness of Jesus. Some people are like, am I being prideful in this moment? Well, just ask yourself, like, are you really excited about making much of Jesus? If you're make, really excited about making much of Jesus, you're in a humble place. Because you have to disappear, and Christ has to emerge for that to be the case. And all of this is so that we can lead people to be partakers of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Humility is a calling for everyone in the context in which this was written when it says clothe yourselves, understand that it was a culture that didn't have a lot of buttons and zippers. So everything they did to clothe themselves required tying. Whether it was like a robe or some sort of undergarment or whatever, they tended to tie it, get something around them, wrap around, a belt was tied around them. So can we just assume like they, they sort of understood the importance and the weight of making sure things were tied securely so that they could avoid any embarrassing moments. That's not a moment when, when clothing is tied around you when you want your tie to not be sufficient. Can we agree? And so into this, what it's calling us to do is, is to securely tie humility around your life. Church, this is, um, this is a message that has to endure. This is a core foundational aspect of, of our lives and our character that is required all the time in the church and in life. We've got to securely tie humility onto our lives. Like we have to think about it and go, I've got to make sure humility, this isn't something I'm like, oh, I heard a really good message on humility. It's like, no, I want to clothe this Clothe yourselves with it, each one of you, all of you. Why does Peter say all of you? Because we're prone to forget it. We're prone to be like, that person needs humility. 
And what we have to do is we have to securely tie this around our lives. Like we got to go through the work it takes to, to like get this tied around our life. And make sure that it's not loosely tied. But I'm going to make sure, because listen, I know what's at stake. Like, I don't want God to oppose me. I want God's grace. And so I'm going to make sure humility is attached to that part of my life. And if I find another part of my life, then I'm like, you know what? That needs humility too. This part, a little closer to my heart. Like, I want to make sure that this humility is tied so securely. And I'm focused on that. And if it slips out of my hands, I'm going to be like, no, no, no. Not a cheap tie. This is getting tied on as securely as I know how. And I'm going to double this knot and triple this knot over time because here's what a sin does. It starts to loosen. Doesn't it? And suddenly humility can fall off pretty quickly. And I'm going to clothe myself, myself with humility. And, and so, so think about it like this. Like humility then begins to play out from leader to leader. The word we use on our elder team is the word plurality. One of the fundamental books that's helped inform our biblical philosophy on um, eldering in a church is a book called The Plurality Principle by Dave Harvey, the president of GCC. And, and it talks about plurality means that we're in submission to one another and we don't, we don't like vote. There's no, like, like in, our, in, our, in, our, in our world, in our country, there's not this just striving for power on the elder team. If you sat in meetings, you'd just be like, Man, they don't move until they're all together. True. It's consensus. Respect for one another. A, a character that leads our conversation. So humility from leader to leader is plurality. Humility from leader to member needs to be a shepherd. A shepherd's heart. I'm trying to lead you to Jesus. That's it. And I won't settle for anything less than the best of what Christ calls you to. Humility from member to leader is then to follow. There are men and women in their character and their uh, sufficiency in a variety of areas that I follow, I respect, I've learned from. Humility from member to member is selfless. There's a genuine desire that I want to be, uh, have humility for one another. That's why the Bible says at, at the end of, of talking about um, even, and in the midst of talking about marriage, it says we're supposed to submit to one another. That that's the spirit that we should have. And as I was just thinking about this message in whole and I came to this point, here's what I, here's what I realized. The only way that we can move from a place where God is opposing us to a place where God's grace is extended towards us is through repentance. And so what I want to do now is um, the band's going to begin to come out and Chris is going to play under this moment. And what I want you to do is, is I want you to take stock of your own heart and life. And maybe if your notes are finished, you can just close your Bible for a few moments. And um, here's what we've learned today is that, is that God will saturate this local church with his grace if we clothe ourselves with humility towards one another. It starts with the leadership. It always starts with the leadership. And so we all need to evaluate our hearts in whatever role we play in context in the church, whether elders are younger, whether followers or leaders. We need to see what's at stake here. And if your heart resonates with mine and says, man, I want everything that God offers us in his grace. 
if you recognize that everyone must make humility a priority and that you want like I want for God's grace to saturate this local church, humility has to be a priority. Great outpourings of God's grace leading to revival throughout scripture have always started with humility. Church, what we need is we need more bowing down before God instead of standing with a fist raised. We need more weeping over our sin instead of expressing anger and frustration. We need more depending on God instead of rushing ahead. We need more watching and waiting for God to work instead of trying to make God work for our end. So I want us to enter into a time of repentance right now. Just bow your heads with me and let's just begin to seek the Lord. And I'm asking God's spirit right now just to reveal that in your heart. God, right now in the sweetness of this moment, your people are coming before your throne and I'm thankful for the opportunity to lead us here and I want to start by asking God in my heart and in the people's hearts in this room that you would convict us of areas of pride. If it's for those who have shepherding leadership, God, would you Would you correct us? Would you lead us to exercise oversight out of an overflow of our delight in you overseeing our lives? Would it be willingly? Help us to repent, God, where there's shameful gain. Sometimes it might be the gain of our own reputation. The gain of this idea of ourselves that we're trying to project to the world. I I pray, God, that all that would just fall, that we would We just think less of ourselves and more of Christ. Humble us, God. Humble us. We confess our hearts so often put us at the center. So convict us in this moment, God. Be specific. Help us to be a people that would bow down so that you could be lifted up. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your tenderness towards us. Thank you for the gospel and for coming into our world, humbling yourself and dying on the cross for our sins. We need you, God. In this world, in this culture, in this season, even in our church, we're asking that there would be a revival of humility a longing, a assessing of our lives that you would be prioritized above all else. Thank you, God. Continue to tenderly lead us. Praise you for your work. Thank you for your will. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.